Hey everyone, welcome to the show. You're listening to Can I, the Latchel podcast named for the acronym Continuous and Never Ending Improvement. At Latchel, we have a deep belief that you can't get better by staying the same. And our podcast is here to give you the tools and resources you need to achieve healthy growth. As a Y Combinator backed company, we know what it takes to have rapid, accelerated growth, and we want to pass our learnings along to you. At Latchel, we help property managers and landlords grow and scale by taking over 24 7 maintenance operations. We've developed an innovative mix of software and on demand support to help do that. Each week on this show, we bring on industry experts and we dive into the topics that'll help you shape your business. Welcome to the show. Let's get going. All right. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining the session. I'm Ethan Lieber here, the CEO of Latchel, here with Katrina Linhard, Latchel's Learning and Resources Specialist. And today, our special guest, who I'm super excited to have, is Tony LeBlanc, entrepreneur or maybe self-proclaimed doorpreneur, um, uh, owner of multiple businesses and author of the newest book, Doorpreneur, Property Management Beyond the Rent Roll. Uh, welcome to the show, Tony. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. And you, usually I check this pre-show, but since we were having technical difficulties, I didn't. Did I pronounce your last name correctly? You did. You did. Okay, cool. <laughs> Beautiful. Um, well, I'm super excited to have you, and uh, I really want to dig into the book, into your background, um, kind of cover everything nuts to bolts. But the way I'd like to start is by defining doorpreneur for mm -hmm. folks. Before I, before I ask you to kind of describe it for us, I wanted to pull a quote from your book. Um, oh, cool. So I'll, I'm going to say the quote, and we'll start there. And then, and then I'll ask my follow-up question, but here's the quote right from your book. Yep. What's a doorpreneur? From a very early age, as I watched my mother run a property management company, I believed it was a fantastic foundation on which to build a business empire. It's not about changing light bulbs. It's about changing lives. That was one of my favorite quotes from your book um, because nice. I think few property management entrepreneurs look at what they're doing and say, I'm changing lives, but this, I think, sums it up and it really kind of lays an awesome foundation for the rest of your book. Yeah. I'd love to pass it back to you and hear, like, to you, what is a doorpreneur and what does it mean to build a business empire? And how do you look at everything as, as you're building it in terms of you changing people's lives? Sure. So, um, again, to, to this day, even I wrote it and I still hear it and it still gives me goosebumps because it's, it, it's something that's very true to my heart. Um, I think the, the, the path to a doorpreneur is <clears throat> it starts back to really the history of property management as an industry itself. Um, it's very much a kind of, in a lot of spaces, it's considered a side business or it's considered it's, it has less glamour than let's say the real estate sales component of the world. Um, so the, the doorpreneur in, in, from my perspective is a way to raise the bar for property management entrepreneurs, as well as the property management industry itself. A lot of people just look at property managers as babysitters, 
as kind of like this, this lower end, low end of the totem pole type people that are involved in real estate transactions. When in fact, property management, A, can be one of uh, real estate investors, most important partner in their journey in real estate investing, but it's the one that has the longest relationship with the investors and the properties. Um, so it's, it's my belief that it should be regarded in a much different light than it probably is today. So the, the doorpreneur, what we've been able to do is take a normal property management company that does its thing. Um, I truly believe that we are at the heart of, of changing and affecting a lot of people's lives because a we're dealing with most of the time people's retirement funds in terms of we're taking care of their buildings, their assets. Um, and we're dealing with tenants. We're dealing with people's homes. You, you cannot get any more personal than that. Um, so you take a normal management company and then you're able to grow it uh, into a empire of service business that service a property management company. What that does, the beauty is it elevates the property management company and the owners of these property management companies to better serve the people, the residents, the investors and the community at large. Um, we seen we saw a massive shift about three years ago when one of our sad one of our side businesses eclipsed the size of my management company and the way that we were seen from the outside completely changed people now it's just a different level of respect it's a different discussion with people with investors with other entrepreneurs that are in different verticals and looking at property management as this in a different way they're like oh you mean from that you can build all that? I'm like, yeah, you know, this, this place can be a, you know, uh, I don't want to say gold mine, but it's, it's, it's an amazing platform to build something really special because again, you're dealing with two very sensitive properties, retirement and people's homes. And I think in the, in the book, you uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I think you use the word ecosystem a few times and maybe platform too that, the management and uh, you know you, you say very explicitly too that going into property management what you're starting with is that management contract but that becomes the ecosystem or platform to build these other uh, profit streams we you know it, <clears throat> it took us 10 years to build essentially what we have today the foundation of all of this formula is a management experience for your owners investors and your tenants to be second to none you have to build an incredibly solid foundation you got to have you know, you got to have good staff, you got to have good profit margins, you got to have good buildings, good owners. Without that, you can forget about everything else because it'll just crumble, right? Once once you've created and you've established this, this, this foundation, then you can look at growing in terms of other components of what's out there. Um, the, the, the foundation or the basic question to ask is, where am I subbing out? What's the what's the thing I'm subbing out the most in terms of my properties? And then you can start looking at different lines of business of where most of the money is going out from the property's perspective. And only if you have the right relationships with your owners and the, the right circumstances, you can actually start taking advantage of these situations and building better services, saving your owners money, providing better service for your tenants. So it's like a win-win-win situation if everything goes right. 
is it, I, I definitely want to dig into your background and I'm, I'm going to uh, pass it to Katrina to yeah. do that. But before we get there, I just want to dig into something you said um, about, you know, building things the right way yeah. to, to kind of create a foundation for yourself to become a doorpreneur, to yeah. kind of go from, okay, I, I have my management company and making revenue. I'm making profit off my management contracts to now I'm actually going to create this platform to expand it. Um, are there like a few things that you have to get right early on to even make this solid foundationally? Uh, absolutely, that's, that's a great question. So you can only start, for, for the most part, um, you gotta have a certain sized portfolio, depending on what vertical you wanna get into. Um, if I look at a standard type service, such as landscaping, snow removal, plumbing, electrical, appliance repair, those types of services, you got to have a, a decent sized portfolio to even eat, think of starting to get in any one of these verticals. So um, there has to be a good footprint of unit count. Um, we were at, when we started our maintenance division, I think we hired our first, first full-time guy at around 150 units um, within the portfolio. And then we had our full, full-time cleaner at around 200 units. So that gave us the ability before that, again, we were just kind of subbing it out, finding different contractors. Once we reached the right unit, count, we we're able to bring that person in on a full-time basis. And then the, the, the latter part of the door printer strategy is, you know, opening up those service to the general public, but yeah. door, door count is critical. Um, second component is profitability. Um, I, I read a staggering uh, report a few months ago saying that the average um, profit margin in the property management space was around 6%. And I was like, I'm like, wow, where, where did that come from? And who, who was who was in this survey? Because that, that, that doesn't cut it. Um, I think, you know, we, we always strive for, you know, from an industry benchmark, uh, you know, 15 to 25 type percent. So regardless of the, the, the percentage, you've got to be making money and you've got to be secure in the foundation of the business. Um, I always believe that once you have a good financial position, that gives you options to different things. But if you're struggling financially, you're, you're going to continue to struggle, especially if you're going to be opening up all these other side businesses. Yeah. Um, last one is staff. Um, just having the infrastructure to be able to support a, another arm that's going to grow off. So for us, it was important. I invested quite early into a physical office, meaning I bought a building, we had an office, people could come and see us. Um, I had a receptionist. And at that point I had, you know, a, a maintenance guy, it was myself, my partner. Um, and we had a couple other uh, part-time people helping us out. So we had, we had somewhat of a structure in place to where, okay, uh, in our account, sorry, can't forget that one. Yeah, of course. We had an accountant in-house. It wasn't being subbed out. It wasn't a, a bookkeeper on the side. So once we had that, that core set up, then again, it started give us, giving us more options because the, the beauty of the doorpreneur system is I can now reutilize these same resources for multiple businesses, saving me costs, saving me money, and everything else. Yeah. So uh, I got unit count. Yep. profitability and staff as yep. sort of kind of some of the key metrics to look at. Yep. 
and um, looking at those who like these take time to develop. Absolutely. Um, so let's let's kind of like rewind now because a lot of our listeners, they're startup companies. They're looking at like, I mean, they've started this journey, but for them, it's you know they they, they maybe just got out of the shire. Yep. You know, they're they're far from throwing the ring into the volcano here. Um, so maybe we can backtrack and uh, would love to dig into how this even got started. So um, if, if I go way back, so I've been, I've been around the management industry my entire life. I'm, I'm second generation property manager. Uh, my mother managed an apartment building my entire life and we lived there. We took care of it. She was the VP of a management company. The, the interesting component of my childhood was I was always around the owners of that management company. And I got, I got a glimpse of their lifestyle. And I'm like, as a kid, I can remember saying, you know, like, we're here, but I'm like, these people have money. It's like, they have all these things. And it's like, it kind of made the correlation very young from property management to wealth, which you don't usually hear of. Hmm. Uh, so fast forward, um, that fact that, that I was intrigued, you know, I went to college. Uh, I spent, my first career was, I did a 15 year stint with IBM as a software engineer. Um, had the time of my life working for these guys, uh, got to travel the globe and work with some of the biggest companies in the world. But property management was always in the background. I started investing early. I bought my first building at 23 and I continued to invest um, as, I, as, I, as I went along. And then I came to a point to where I couldn't handle the traveling. I couldn't handle uh, being away from my family all the time. And that's what was, it was getting worse and worse as I was progressing at IBM. And it was just taking its toll on me physically and uh, emotionally in, in, in every sense of the way. So uh, I'd always been entrepreneurial. So at that point uh, I made the jump. I started the management company um, on the side, grew it up to about a hundred units in I think 45 days. Um, just because I knew a lot of people in that world. And of course I had my mother, you know, she, she gave me a bunch of names and, you know, I had an unfair advantage, I would say, starting it up. And, um, yeah, after like days, I had a hundred and some units and I'm like, Oh, I'm going to China. I'm like, how am I going to take care of all these people, properties and people? Um, so that's when I, I partnered with my partner, which happened to be my mother's right hand man, uh, was working for her. So that was interesting. Uh, she had hired him at a university 15 years prior. So um, he came on board and we've, we've never looked back. Um, we've grown from, from that point in 2000, uh, 2009 to today, um, you know, a little under 2000 doors, three locations. And I think we're at seven different side businesses that, that, that complement the management company. Yeah. Oh, that's huge. Yeah. So it's been, uh, it's, it's been a, very interesting ride. The first five years and then the second five years were very different. So you have um, you have a chapter in your book that talks about um, why now matters to be a property manager. And I think it's interesting having come off of your story of just how you got started in property management. You talk about in there um, why um, kids don't really grow up and say like, I want to grow up and manage rental properties. <laughs> it's not really a thing. but. Um, then you kind of go into why, yeah, yeah, it's not the sexiest industry in the world, but um, you go into a lot of great detail about why now is the time to get involved in property management. Can you dive a little bit deeper into that and give 
Absolutely. Everyone will sneak peek into chapter two. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I believe there's a big shift happening in terms of the, the market in general. Um, <clears throat> I speak a lot about the millennia, millennials in the book because they're obviously a big part of the population that's growing. The, the old mentality of wanting to, you know, uh, at a very young age to buy a house, to move in and move in a house and to own a house is it's completely shifting to where people want to be more mobile. So and they don't want to be tied down by mortgages. Uh, people are fine with renting. It's just kind of got a difference it had maybe 20, 30, 40 years ago. So apartment buildings and a, a uh, I forget what the term called, but uh, apartment buildings are being built all over the place. And uh, the density in the downtown areas is requiring a lot of bigger apartment buildings. So people are okay with it. Um, that's causing a huge demand for property managers and property management companies to kind of step up. It's a different, it's different, different game versus working with a 30 or 40 year old building uh, versus kind of an older clientele versus having a brand new building, newer amenities, a new type of technology and new types of tenants. So all of this has driven the need for great property management and more important property managers and more importantly, people that understand technology, people that are real business people, and they're not just landlords that own buildings and kind of got into managing for others as a side thing. Um, it's actual real people coming into this industry with a purpose of building great businesses. Traditionally, property management didn't come from that. It came from accidental landlords and it came from big landlords buying these big portfolios and then just managing stuff for other people. That's exactly how my, my mother's company did it. They, they own like seven or 800 units and they're like, well, we got all this infrastructure, you know, why not serve other clients? And that's traditionally how it's been built. So now you're starting to see these management companies sprawl up all over the place. Um, and they're, they're, they're real businesses. They're real businesses doing some really great stuff. A lot of them are married to real estate offices. Um, you see that a lot. Um, and I think if, you know, if I have my way, you're going to see a lot more doorpreneur models pop up. Yeah, I think you, you have a, a section in your book and I, I forget where it is. It may have been when you were talking about the 6% six, 6 average profit margin, which seems like crazy. That is a surprising number. Um, it's that, disturbing. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, and I think, uh, I think you were saying that you, you strive to hit that 20% as like your average. Um, you gotta be but I think... <clears throat> sorry. Well, I was just going to say, I think you can only do that when you are focused. And you know, you, you kind of said it yourself that a lot of management companies, it's because, you know, they already have their own buildings, their their own properties, and they're just trying to reuse infrastructure. And there's not like a, a focus on how do we actually make these new management contracts profitable. And the second is like, I'm just going to manage your property to get the downstream transaction that comes when you're ready to sell. I'm not in it to manage. I'm just in it for the later transaction. And you, there's no focus there, right, on operational excellence. You don't, you're going to get those maybe 6%, maybe even lower profit margins. Or maybe you're not even tracking it. You don't, you don't even know what your profit margin looks like. Maybe you're even losing money. It's, uh, it's, it's scary out there because there's a lot of people that um, were, if you compare real estate sales and you compare property management, 
it's really, a, in, in my opinion, it's kind of an unfair situation in terms of the financial reward versus the two. Um, and there's a tremendous amount of people, realtors predominantly that kind of get into the property management. Typically if sales are low, they're going to kind of play around a little bit about management and kind of do it on the side. Yeah. And, but the real breadwinner is always the real estate sales. And it's very difficult to grow a business when you have this thing that's making a hundred times more on a transaction than this thing down here. That's a hundred times harder and it's a hundred times less money. Um, those are exaggerated uh, terms, but th the reality is, you know, in the sales world, it's a, it's a different world. In the management world, it's it's very different. They can both be amazing, and they, they can both be tough. Um, we've we found a great way to to kind of marry the two together so that they live in harmony, to where that you're not so focused on chasing the money on the sales. You're there to provide a service and to be a partner to your real estate investors, your clients that you buy and sell for, you manage for, and you provide all these other services for. So that's how you got to kind of position yourself. You also have like a really great story uh, about the um, family from Dubai. Yes. Um, yeah. Who had called out a bunch of other like real estate agents in the area and they were all recommending you. Yeah. Um, like just to highlight the importance of that network building, but in marrying the two, I know a lot of management companies will, will partner up with uh, real estate agents and they'll simply refer for the management. And that way they're not stuck dealing with like all the, the yeah. work. Yeah. Real estate agents can be a great asset to the right property manager for sure. One of the um, why nows that uh, I don't think you really talk about explicitly in the book. And I'm, I'm curious on your opinion on this, just because of the gen, you, you do talk about the trends and how things are trending toward rentals that it seems like for most of the, the history of real estate in the U S rentals have always been perceived as temporary, like temporary stop gap, stop gaps until you own a home. Yeah. And I think it's probably for the first time ever renting, is starting to look less like the temporary solution until the residents can buy. And for more and more people, it's, it is the long-term play. It's, it's, I'm, I'm renting for life. I don't intend to ever own a home. I am a renter. Um, and I'm curious, like how that has impacted the opportunity in the space from, from your, your perspective. Oh, it's it's, it's great. I'll, I'll never forget the first, the first time I heard Grant Cardone say we're becoming a renter's nation. And it's true. He said this, I don't know, probably about six or seven years ago, and you're hearing it more and more and more. And I live it and I see it every day. I know a lot of the younger people and even, uh, you know, people my age, my, even my parents, um, owning, owning a home does not necessarily have the same prestige as it had before because, it seems to me there's 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 being there's a lot more importance on uh, maybe the whole traveling aspect, the flexibility aspect, experience aspect, and and the, what I agree with what you said in terms of it's no longer kind of a transitional period. Sure, we still get that. There's you know it's it's never going to go away. Right. But the stigma of living in an apartment as the buildings are getting nicer and nicer technologies being integrated in these places it's like why would i want to live in my own house when i got this amazing apartment that's like digital this digital that and i have access to everything and all the amenities 
I'd be crazy to want to bother moving the house. Too much work, right? People yeah. are having people are having kids much later, so you know that that makes a difference in certain environments. So, yeah. So I think that's really interesting to talk like with all this opportunity that's coming up for property managers, and maybe we can back up a little bit because I think a lot of people are kind of here to. Um, listening to how they can build their um, property management company to scale. So now that we know there's plenty of opportunity to scale, <laughs> when you were just starting out and you were um, like under 100 doors, what yep. were some of the tools that you used or what did you find vital to be able to push yourself past that and run successfully? So I had a conversation with a gentleman from Los Angeles. He, he texted me or Facebook me the other day and he's, I'm, I'm, I'm dying. I need more leads. I don't know what to do. <laughs> And I don't even know the person, but I, I we, we engaged in a conversation and almost exactly the same type of question. My, my first thing that I told him and the first thing that I did when I started the management company is I made it a duty to know who owned every building in the city. Like I needed to know who owned what. So who could I approach and who couldn't I? Because there's different types of people that own buildings. So in most cities, you're going to have big families that own generations worth of real estate chances are you're not going to get their business they own it they took care they take care of it they're just kind of like the untouchables then you have REITs real estate investment trusts they own big buildings they usually do their own in-house management what that leaves you with is the privately owned smaller can be smaller or bigger apartment built investors that may or may or may not live in the city so where i live were kind of like a haven for outside people to come in and invest because our price points are so low. So I have a lot of people from Vancouver, British Columbia, um, and Toronto that invest here in the East Coast. So we're lucky I can go to an online system from my province and I can actually see who owns. I can type in an address and I can see who owns it. I can see their address. And that's when I put my inspector hat on and I go find out who they are. Um, and it's my job to find a way to get in front of them whether if it's a phone call, whether if it's a networking with somebody else that may know them through connections. Um, nowadays with social media, um, there's, there's a million ways that you can find these people, but I've always been one to where know who owns what and know who the players are in town, right? Whether if it's the real estate agents, um, mortgage brokers, it's a very close-knit family, this multifamily, uh, I would say, zone. Single-family investments, I would say probably it's going to have the same thing. There's going to be a pocket full of people that know those things really well, that, that are known to deal with investors, know the other property management companies that you're dealing with and you're competing with. Um, what do they manage? Um, so you, you really need to, you know, before start getting into Google ads and pay-per-click and all that stuff, it's like, know your area like go on, get in your car and drive around and take pictures and catalog every building that you know you can find and then from there you got to start investigating and finding techniques and ways to to get in front of these owners and that once you can do that um that'll provide i think in my opinion anybody a, a great step up in terms of getting a start what were some of the um you know, once you catalog that new, okay, this, this person, I, I know some information about them and they own these buildings. Um, you know, I know this person, maybe they have like X number of single family homes. Uh, once you've cataloged that, yep. what did you find were the best 
kind of methods or techniques to approach people, to get them into a meeting to talk to you about managing? Third party referrals. So I try to find out who knows who. So if I find a building and it's like, okay, I don't know them. They're from, if, if they're from out of the city, it's a little bit easier. You can kind of even cold call them or just cut, try to reach out. But if they live in the city, I will reach out to my network and find out, hey, does anybody know this person? And if you, you know, depending on the size of the city, maybe easier or harder. For me, it was like, it was always like three or four levels deep. I had to go. I could eventually find out somebody that I knew that knew that person. Cool. So that I would, I would ask for an introduction kind of uh, I, I try to get a fair what they do um you know if they were part of any like chamber of commerce or anything like that i just found a way to try to get in front of them i'd add them in, on facebook add them on linkedin um, and i'd make sure if i wrote anything or articles that i'd try to make sure that it got in front of them in, in some capacity and not not necessarily from a business aspect um i'm a pretty uh athletic guy so i I'm very involved in sports, so um, I tend to resonate very well with other, you know, if they're investors and they go to the gym and stuff like that, like, we're set, we're good. <laughs> I'm going to land them. You'll find which gym they work out at. One of my first clients, there was like 40 or 50 units for almost two years. We trained at the gym and I'm like, I'm going to manage your stuff someday. He's like, oh, you know, I if we are fine, we take care of our own stuff, you know, stop bugging me. And I always used to, I used to laugh about it. I'm like, yeah, you ready for us? You ready for us? The day come, I was his first phone call. <laughs> not be right away. You know, it could take some time, but um, there's, there's definitely, uh, um, I'm, I'm a big believer in, in the human element of getting to know these people as, as, as much as you can, because this is a very, very high trust business. Somebody's not just going to give you the keys to their, you know, $4 million building and say, okay, you know, figure it out. And I trust you. <laughs> you'll say yeah. my $25,000 every month and you'll treat me right. So they need to, it takes a little bit of time to, to develop that, you know, putting yourself out there and not being shy. Are you managing exclusively multifamily or do you manage single family as well? Like what does your mix look like? Everything. Single family, duplex, multi thread commercial, condo, everything. Awesome. Okay. I wouldn't, I don't know if I'd recommend that. Uh, <laughs> we make the mistakes and we, you know, we, you know, there's certain points in your business where like you just want business and you just take it. Um, if I could rewind, I would certainly change some of that, but my love is multifamily. That's where my heart is. Bigger so it more. sounds like at the start there was a, um, a lot of hustling going on on your end. Um, so at what point in time did you say, I need to hire some staff? And um, where did you start with that? So it was, again, right around 100 and some units. And that's where, because I was still working full time at that point with IBM. So I was full-fledged side hustle. I'm like, you know, but I took a year uh, to start and actually launch the business because I knew I wanted to do something different, something special. I didn't have the doorpreneur back then, but I knew that I wanted to big, I wanted to build a big management company because I saw the potential. And, uh, so I got hundred units really fast. And then, uh, I brought on board my partner, Steve, which is still with me today. And then he ran the company, the operations, uh, for probably for the better part of the first uh, three or four years. 
every, I'd say every six months or every 100 units, 150 units, we'd add a staff because that's kind of the, the stepping ladder that happens with management to where you get to a certain management uh, account, you got to get a new property manager. Well, I need a receptionist. You got to have the bookkeeper and then maintenance comes into play. And then cleaning comes into play. And then as the unit count grew, um, we were just adding more property managers to the equation. So today, my office, I think we're around 1100, my office alone. And we're, um, so myself, my partner, we have uh, four property managers plus our, our, our accountants that serve that location plus the other ones. So it's really all, the staff comes really with unit count. It's, it's nice like that, but you're seeing a lot of changes now with um, virtual assistants. So that's a lot of change. There's a lot of stuff going on in that realm, especially for property managers. It's a, it's a fantastic way to save some money during the, the middle stages to where you're like, it's starting to hurt. It's starting to hurt, but I can't afford it. So you can kind of bring in a, sometimes you can bring in a VA to do some of the backend administrative stuff at, you know, whatever, one third or two thirds of the cost. So You, uh, you talk a lot about delegation in the book and, and how important that is. And you have a quote that I think is really emblematic of like the spirit of entrepreneurship it, it, when you're looking at it from the perspective of a doorpreneur. Um, and I just want to read this quote because I, I liked it so much and I just want to share it um, and then we can we can talk about it. Uh, so I'm just going to read the quote off. It's toward the end of the book. Actually, I, I don't I forgot to write down which chapter it's from. But here's the quote. The most important part of property management is not fixing toilets or cleaning hallways. It's about cultivating loyalty when you are fully engaged in doing things that matter most to building owners, tenants and employees. At the end of the day, it's pretty simple. People will forget what you said. People will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. Um, and I, I love this because like it, it brings everything you're talking about into like that focus on like the real purpose of what you're doing, um, that you, you need to make people feel Awesome, right? That, that's fundamentally what it is. You, you've obviously built like a very customer obsessed kind of culture around your company, but also what it means to be an entrepreneur. And, um, you know, a lot of companies don't look at it that way. I know. They do look at it and just say, oh, I just you need to make sure maintenance gets done and collect the rent. Yeah. And I, I guess I'm wondering a couple things. And we could start with like, how did this perspective? develop and how did you and then we could talk about how you cultivated it in your company but let's let's start about where it even came from um 100 from my mother she she taught me everything i knew right i i remember seven eight years old you know going through the hallways and my mother dealing with issues and she just she was always just a kind heart she was good to people she she, she didn't take advantage of people she saw people for who they were and she went out of their way to serve them out of the goodness of her heart. And I just, it stuck with me my entire life. I'm like, how can you, you know, we deal with, again, it's, it's such a sensitive topic, but I can't say it enough. Like you're dealing with somebody's home. Okay. I don't care what the circumstances are. These are human beings. Um, 
because you know there's whatever happened you got to go through this ugly process but you still need to be a human about it um and she just always kept a level of respect from everybody around her from her peers from her tenants from her, her staff that she took care of and it was just a beautiful environment to be part of um and that's i i, I took that and you know I, I still try to live up to her standards in terms of what i do with my staff and my company sometimes i don't think i do as good of a job as she did but she just had a kind heart and uh if i look at my staff and, and the people that i've surrounded myself with um, you know, we, we may not all be rocket scientists, but I can guarantee we have some of the big hearts that, you know, in, in the city that's providing housing and tenants and property management service to anybody out there. And going off what you were talking about of that sales process that you were kind of taking in the techniques of really understanding people know who owns what buildings, take the time to connect with them. Yep. Um, I, I think that it shows them as early as your your your, your sales process. We can, we can call it where you're building the relationship. Um, you, you're getting to know people. You're becoming like a loyal ally before a, a business partner in a lot of ways, right? Yeah, absolutely. My my goal is, uh, you know, to to first some sort of establish some sort of rapport and try to develop some sort of friendship at, at, to some degree, right? I think a lot of the local clients that we've accumulated over the years, I got to say at least nine out of 10, I've, I became friends with them long before we ever did business just because, you know, it's, it's been a while. They now see me as a, you know, an authority in, in the industry. We have a lot of, you know, business around here and if they need advice, if they have questions, serve them. Right. And, and don't, don't always ask for something in return. Um, just, be good to, to, to other people and treat everybody with respect and, you know, business will eventually flow your way. Property management is super, it's a super small, it's a super small um, environment to where you can, you can really get yourself in trouble if you do the wrong things early and it'll be tough to pivot later because it's, it's a very tight knit and uh, community involved. Yeah. So you got to be really careful. It's you, you can't burn any bridges. Um, you just got to be able to respect those relationships and cultivate them for, for the long term. Unlike, you know, uh, I'm, I'm not throwing real estate agents under the bus, but they're much more of a transactional type relationship for the most case, right? Sure. Yeah. They come into a realtor's life, they buy a property and they may never see them again. Um, I'm involved. I'd say the average out of the thousand, 1100 units that I manage in my office, I would easily say that six or 700 of those units have been with me close to day one. Like th these are long-term relationships. I don't want to, you know, I'm not going to do anything stupid to sabotage these things. And then you also connect that to um, the way to employees and how you make them feel. And you talk a lot about servant-based leadership. Yes. Um, so saying maybe you can describe for our listeners what that actually means. Cause I think it, sometimes can be kind of like misconstrued on like what is servant-based leadership how's it actually done but you you give a good examples of how you do it in the book and maybe you can share share with us what that looks like again it's it's i don't know if it's i, it, I consider it a unique thing in the property management industry whether if it's me whether if it's my accountant whether if it's my property manager front desk leasing agent it doesn't matter when when there's something going on for example an emergency 
or let, let's say there's a fire, right? There's a fire going on in the building. It's like all hands on deck, right? It doesn't matter your title, your position, or, or where you're at. We've had to carry people out of buildings in different circumstances. Um, we've had to help people find housing because they had no insurance and they had none of this and they had none of that. We've had apartments that have been trashed to the point to where it's, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars worth of damages yet we've been able to re-rent it and i gotta get it ready in three days so that means everybody's picking up a paintbrush everybody's picking up a washcloth and we're all getting in there and we're getting this thing done right the first the first few years of the company um we were always side by side with our staff and making sure that anything that we ask of them we've done uh, and i think that's a critical thing it's like i don't because there's some things that are not too fun to do in this business and you know i i've never wanted to put myself in that position to where if like this dictator is always saying well you guys got to do this and you know i'm gonna let you guys take care of the hard stuff we all have hard stuff to do and we, we share in those experiences and we, we have to have each other's back so um, I, I believe that's a critical importance for 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 most leaders in, in terms of when they're when they're dealing with their staff and you know they got to show by example lead from the top and not be afraid to kind of jump into certain situations yeah yeah i think this is a really interesting point because i remember another podcast we did um with someone who had just um he skyrocketed from like 50 to over 100 in a very short amount of time and when we asked him like what was the big change he talked about how he did like a sales um a sales program where he just learned how to kind of just like sit down and really listen to the client and what they need. Because I think when you're first starting out and you have all this stress after like, a lot of times you're putting a lot of your own money on the line. Maybe you're maxing out your credit cards and you're like, have all this stress of like land this client. And sometimes you forget that it's more than just a transactional interaction. But when you can remember to add that human element into it, then it can really change things. And um, yeah, I think that's a great thing to think about. But another question that that starts to beg is that when we start marrying technology and with like you're at, you said like 1100 units, like how do we keep that human element in there? That, that, that's a great question. And it's a very talked about question, pretty popular <laughs> about automation and how to do this and how to do that. My opinion is that, um, I don't know if it's going to sound cliche, but technology should help you, which should kind of, I don't know how they say it, but it needs to be an assistant. It shouldn't be a replacement for any human contact, right? I think, and, and, and I've been part of various groups and Facebook groups where people, I got no office, I got no thing, I run my business off my phone and I never talk to anybody. I'm like, okay, that's, that's one strategy. <laughs> um, not something that I subscribe to, but hey, if it's working, it's working. Um, I, like, I like the combination of the two. We are, I heard a great quote the other day. So uh, Chris, I forget his last name. He's the CEO of Building. He, uh, he did a great podcast and he, he, he framed property management very eloquently. And he said that we are in the empathy and hospitality business. And that really, really resonated with me. And it, it, it encouraged me to keep the belief that we can never let technology take over the human element of this industry or this business a tenant calls and they have a problem they want to talk to a human being it's like you got to get involved um can you can you use technology to help 
system or help systematize how to be efficient in certain ways. Absolutely. Like I'm, I'm, a, I'm as tech geek as you can get. And if I can take care of my, my, our goal as a management company is all of the backend and administrative stuff. I don't want to touch. And I, I wish my staff didn't have to touch so we could outsource all the admin work, paperwork, so that we could be 100% focused on our relationships with our tenants and owners. And that's it. So, and all those different components, you know, technologies can be used in different ways, but um, we're still a very high touch point company, probably a lot more than others in terms of we still have real leasing agents. So it's not... Right. It's not show lists or, uh, you know, where people have just a key in the code, which I think is cool. Don't get me wrong. I'd, I'd like to explore it. But um, right now, you know, somebody looks at one of our ads, they call or email, you know, it's it's my, my one of my leasing managers is going to meet them. It's going to show them a place, take their application. They come into the office to sign a lease. It's very, you could consider it old school, married with a bit of technology. So I think there's there's there has to be a good marriage of the two yeah and i think to extend that further it's that human touch creating that the feeling that you are cared about it doesn't matter if you're the tenant the owner um even if you're 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 using third-party contractors or service providers to do maintenance work even they need to feel cared about right going back to your comment on people remember how you make them feel i i think to take that a step further you almost need you need to have good process and you need to find the places to use technology to permit yourself to have the time to do those things because making people feel good about what you're doing that takes time and um you know if you're spending like a hundred percent of your time just on the books doing, doing accounting uh or like probably a, a um early in latchel um i was talking with a, a guy who owns four thousand uh, owns a management company that runs four thousand properties yeah. uh, residential small multiplex and he was still handwriting checks because he loved just the feeling of hand and i'm like dude <laughs> like you could be spending that time really making relationships with people um, now that's an extreme example, um, but the more you can delegate that, that isn't part of that, that experience of creating that feeling. And there's, um, there's, uh, there's this book by uh, someone from Disney. I, I don't know if you're familiar with it on how to create customer experiences that mimic like that Disney experience. Yep. Um, I'll have to get the name of the book and I'll, I'll share it with you later, but I'm a huge component of that, of that experience, because there's too many, we're going to get into these economies to where there's going to be a lot of competitors. And and sometimes from a tenant perspective, if they go see a building A and building B, and they got a really good vibe, with that other person, and the buildings are literally the same, they're going to go with the other person, right? Versus if you're walking into a more of a robotic situation. Um, I don't know, it's, it's kind of like this, you got to be careful. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, like, um, the, the leasing part does make sense. Like, if I could choose one one thing to, to automate versus not automate, I, I would probably prefer automating the, like, hey, get us your, your maintenance request. Easier to put that in online anyway or through, like, a, a, a text app than to, you know, have to call someone and wait and do that. But 
on the leasing side, it's your opportunity to start that relationship building process and create, create that positive feeling like right off the bat. Um, but yeah, it's, it's kind of like getting back to basics, right? Where there's opportunities to create these peak experiences that, that you can turn, even if it's taking a bad experience and turning it into like, wow, they really helped me. Like, um, building catches on fire you talked about actually helping like bring tenants out of like the building and that's a horrible experience but to have that light at the end of the tunnel that these people really care about you makes all the difference absolutely and it's and the the interesting thing about property management is we have essentially we have two very different clients that we serve right i have owners that want and desire a certain thing and then i have tenants that want and desire a certain thing Sometimes these things don't go together and it's, uh, it's, it's our job to kind of be that mediator between the two, um, but also take good care of both sides uh, and give them both great experiences because either one can affect the other. So if I upset a tenant on one side, causing them to move out and put a bad Facebook review, well, that follows me everywhere. It follows other tenants, prospective tenants that are going to come in and want to move in. And then, of course, my buyers or my, my investors that are looking at us in terms of getting us to manage their properties, they see all these, you know, these horrible reviews and stuff like that. It's like, so yeah. just, you got to be careful. And that's that's where the human, human element you got to be on top of and not let things slide. But, yeah. So yeah, I, absolutely. I have one last thing kind of I wanted to talk about on, on the book that I think is going to be super relevant to anyone listening, growing their company, because I hear it all the time on Facebook. I see it all the time. People posting about like, oh, I have this horrible owner that I'm working with and like, I just don't know what to do. Like, there's such a pain in the butt. Yeah. And you have this section where you, you talked about how you vet clients with something you called the ground floor starter kit. Yes. Yep. Can you tell us more about what that is and what that process looks like? Yeah. So it's essentially, it's essentially a questionnaire that runs through uh, different scenarios with people. So I can get a good feel or a judgment of what type of personalities they have. Cool. So one of the, one of the biggest, some, some of the few important parts that we, that are important to us. So um, that tells me how high maintenance an owner is. So um, I don't have the questions in front of me, but some of them are like, um, so I want to be able to gauge um, your level of communication that's required over a monthly basis for your portfolio in terms of what they need to know. So they've, they've created some questions that kind of give us that because A, I don't want to work with micromanagers and B, I don't really like dealing with really distant owners either because they're like completely, they have no idea what's going on. And when something comes up, they get all kind of frantic and well, why didn't you tell me that before? And it's like, well, you haven't called me in two years. It's like, I, I don't know. Where <laughs> to to. Um, so I, we, you know, we like kind of the middle ground to where um, they like a decent amount of communication and they like being involved in some of the decision-making yet. They don't feel that they have to look over my shoulder every minute. Um, another important factor is their concepts of money in terms of uh, spending, maintenance, that is probably the most sensitive touch point in, in my opinion in this business. So if I 
through a couple questions, if I find out that this guy is going to bend over, uh, what is it, bend over a nickel to pick up a penny, um, we're not a right fit. Like mm-hmm. if, if he's going to be scrutinizing every $10 invoice, we're not a right fit. I, I don't have time for that. It's like, <clears throat> we, we, we know what we're doing. We're the industry experts. We know what we got to do. Um, give me a budget. We have, you know, the first three months of, a, of starting working with an owner is a lot of fact finding in terms of, okay, what, you know, what can we do? What can't we do? What should I, what should I tell that person uh, proactively versus just kind of giving him a surprise that, Hey, this expense just came up. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's critical to know um, that up front because we've, we've made that mistake happen before to where we were just so eager to get the portfolio. What's all this new business. And it's like, we knew those red flags coming up during the initial conversations and nine out of 10 it's in that realm of, we just don't see eye to eye when it comes to maintenance, what we have to do on a turnover in terms of getting ready, what's clean versus clean. He says, this is clean. I say, this is clean. And this is my clean. It's like, um, you can get into a lot of situations like that. Um, so that's, that's really a big one. And another one, last one is I want to get their overall view of growth and what that means to them. Are they a progressive investor or are they an accidental landlord that just needs to, they're like, stop the bleeding, take mm-hmm. the problem over for me. And, you know, mm-hmm. I'm going to move on with my life. I try to avoid those as well. Um, like it or not, sometimes the accidental landlords, sometimes they turn into great clients, but a lot of the times they're, they're financially not prepared to handle a real estate investment. Meaning if something comes up, the tenant moves out, they're in a big panic and they don't have money. And it's like, Oh, it's, it's tough to deal with. And I, and I feel for them because it's like, you know, they, they didn't ask to be put in this situation. Yes. So, so we love working with growth set, you know, investors that are looking to grow their portfolios that are, uh, you know, entrepreneurial minded, obviously that's how I am. That's how I live and breathe. So on a personal level, that's kind of usually who I connect with most. So those would be like three really heavy things that we try to wean out of, you know, Hey, we want to work with you or that's probably not a right fit and property structure as well would be one. Tony, I feel like a lot of our uh, listeners are going to have like questions they might want to ask you specifically that we weren't able to ask. Um, how should folks get in touch with you if they want to ask questions or if they want to pick up a copy of Doorpreneur? Where, where can they do that? So I'm, online, I'm available. The books are uh, available pretty much anywhere. It's online, Amazon, uh, Chapters for those in Canada, Indigo, uh, Barnes & Noble. So you can pretty much pick it up anywhere there. Uh, we've got the hard copy as well as the uh, Kindle copy. Uh, audiobook is coming and just got to set the time aside to record it. Um, but hopefully in Q1, 2020, um, in terms of reaching out to me directly, um, you can find me on Facebook. I'm very active on there. Uh, just search for Doorpreneur or go to doorpreneur.com. You can send an email and I am uh, always open to, to chat and discuss. Awesome. Amazing. Yes. And we're also uh, giving away a free copy of Doorpreneur. Um, if you're watching the Crowdcast session, there's a little green button below the video there. You can hit that link and enter to win a free copy along with uh, three other books that Tony's recommended to read. Um, if you're listening to the podcast, just head over to www.latchel.com forward slash book box 
Um, and you can see the other books there. Tony, could you give us a quick run through on the other books you recommended and um, why you recommended them? Absolutely. So number one, um, Deep Work by Cal Newport. Um, amazing, amazing book to give you a, if, if you're not the type of person, and this is very common in property management, so that's why specifically I put this book out there. We are so busy in the day-to-day -day activities of what we're doing that a lot of people have a hard time getting their head above the clouds. And that's why, in my opinion, a lot of property management companies stay small. It's just a fact. There's there's property management companies on average, or if you're 500 units, you're you're pretty big and you're you're doing pretty well. If you're over a thousand, it's like whoa, you know that that's a big company. Um, so I think people need to learn how to make space for themselves. For themselves, um, I'm a huge you know I'm very much into meditation and, and, and different techniques, but deep work has allowed me the space to be able to think through some of this stuff without making. Uh, rash decisions, right? Um, every Sunday morning, I take three or four hours to plan my week. That that time is like, it's 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 non-negotiable. Like if I start Monday morning and I haven't done my, what I call my general's tent on Sunday mornings, I'm lost. I need to be able to think through this stuff. And I, I'm very much the type of guy that um, I can make decisions quickly, but I also have to have some time to kind of go through it, process it, and to see bigger visions. So Deep Work, amazing, amazing book. Um, the other one is uh, Deep Work by, um, oh God, I'm drawing a blank on her name. Um, oh, is this the? Um... Byron Katie. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. That is, um, Byron Katie is probably known as one of the most influential and probably one of the biggest personalities in that space in terms of getting control of your own thoughts and being able to reframe situations. If there's a technique that I've learned uh, earlier on in my career working with different mentors is being able to change the frame or change my perspective on the situation. Um, and it's incredibly important, I believe, for entrepreneurs to be able to have those skills, to be able to for an example, to be able to take a negative situation and to be able to extract the positive situations out of that, right? And um, I, like I do this every day. It's like, here's a situation. Um, what can I extract that's positive out of that situation? And then how do I take that positive element and apply it to different areas of my life? Very, you know, if I'm learning a business lesson, well, how can I apply that to my body? Like, how do I apply that to my, nutri my nutrition? How do I apply that to my relationships with my wife and my kids, right? It's like it's like these ninja techniques with your mind to be able to take what you think is a simple thing, extract a lesson, and then apply it through different verticals. It's like it's super powerful, super powerful. And the third, I believe, was the monk who sold his Ferrari, right? The leader um, of the pattern. Okay, same, same author. Yeah. I was debating which book. So the leader... <laughs> Um, so Robin Sharma is like one of my idols. Um, he wrote the leader of the title, which was the first uh, personal development book that I ever read. Uh, and the monk who sold his Ferrari. It's just a great story about, like the title says, it doesn't matter what your title is. We all have this part of us that can provide great experiences for people and for others and to treat people in the right way. He has a very kind voice and a very gentle, poetic style to the way that he writes. And it's it just sucks you right into the story. 
and it just takes you on a beautiful ride and, and brings you out the other end with it. Like you just, you just feel good about yourself. You feel good about, you know, being human and you feel good about, you know, positivity and it just kind of get that good vibes type book. So I, uh, it really gave me a perspective shift when I was younger. So. I have to ask, cause I'm just like, so curious before we wrap up, you, you talk about the 5am club too, which, oh, yeah. uh, connecting to, to Robin Sharma. <laughs> and obviously like that 5am kind of wake up, you, you talk about how like positively it's impacted, like your work style. Changed my life. Maybe before I ask my question, actually, maybe you could just share like, why, why was it such a big revolution for you? I've it's, it gives me a time to work on me. It's like the biggest investment that I can put out there is on myself. It's like, I can try to solve as many problems for others out there, but if I don't know what triggers me, if I don't know how I operate, if I don't have the right mindset and if I don't have the right frame, it's like, I'm useless to anybody else. And I'm just kind of out there kind of doing stupid things. So for the, for me, the mornings, the, the best way to describe it is when I wake up, I'm a bit crazy. And when I sit there and I meditate and I plan my day for a few hours, I'm a little bit less crazy and I'm a hundred times more productive. So that time alone is my investment in myself. And I follow very structured what I do. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, it's just amazing. You just kind of, you, you walk out the door and you just feel like you're in power. You've accomplished so much. You get to the office and you've been up for three hours working, working on yourself, figuring out stuff and, and kind of journaling. I guarantee you when you walk into the office, you're going to, you, you feel different than others. It's just, it's, it's kind of this overall sensation. I have to think too, like that level of discipline you're carrying to yourself and your personal development then carries into the business. And you look at that business with more discipline and focus. Clarity. Um, Clarity. Now my question was for you is going to be, are you a morning person? Uh, yes, I am most creative at 515 in the morning. At nine o'clock, nine thirty, I'm I'm dead to the world. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for joining us so late in the day. Then, <laughs> yeah. my, my, we always joke. It's like it's like it's like ten thirty, and we're like on a Saturday night. We're like, oh my god, we're up late. It's like <laughs> all proud of ourselves. I mean, I don't consider myself a morning person. Yeah. But even now, I'm like, you know, you work so hard during the day at ten thirty. Like, I'm like, oh my god, it's late. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be hundred percent transparent is waking up at five hard. Yeah. It's, it's not easy. Like I'm, you know, by noon, one o'clock, my eyes are getting dark and you know, I'm, I'm getting tired. I, a nap. Great. You know, I'm a big napper. So 10, 15 minutes power snooze. Good to go. Um, but it took a lot, a lot, a lot of practice of getting up early, quitting, getting up early, quitting. Oh, this ain't worth it. This ain't doing anything. And I would say the last couple of years, it's been just like, yeah, it's just, it's just automatic because luckily I've, I, I hit that point to where I'm not the same person if I don't wake up. Mm. That's, it's dramatically shifted my perspective on, uh, okay, it's, it's hard, but who cares? It's like, I'll get over it within, the, it, within five minutes. So, In your book, you talk about having been a, a bodybuilder. I have to imagine it's similar, that it, I'm sure it took a while to get your body liking the pain yeah it's it's definitely a discipline robin says uh 
it seems everybody you ask, how many days does it take to, to, to put a, a new habit in process? It used to be 21, now it's 66. I don't know. I just say do it until you feel like it's not hard anymore. For some people, it's going to be less. Some people, it's going to be more. Yeah. And mornings are, are, are yeah. Some people are night people. They can do, they're more productive at night. Um, personally, I'm very creative in the morning. And then my creative juices kind of taper out throughout the day. So. I imagine too, if for any you know entrepreneur out there with like family, a wife, kids, or husband, kids, like night is hard. You you know you're you want to spend time with your spouse. The kids are going to be up like in the morning. It's it's all you alone. It's beautiful. Like you know, I've, we have three kids here, and we have a full house, full schedule, and you know, there's a lot of stuff going on. So from you know from five to seven o'clock, you know, nobody else is awake. It's, it's quiet. It's nice. It's peaceful. And I can just focus on what I need to focus on. Tony, I super appreciate you for coming on. Thanks so much for this. Um, you know, if we get like a lot of questions coming in through our, our, our email, uh, we might have to schedule a follow-up one of these, but I'd love to information you provided is so awesome and to everyone listening go get the book there's way more in the book than obviously what we were able to cover in this interview um i have like pages and pages of notes that like i haven't even i wasn't even able to get to tony because we only have an hour here but go get the book everyone um it's all it's all there in the book a lot of tactical uh help if you're growing your company and then obviously like you do a great job tony painting like a vision for what people can build toward um, and yeah, so, uh, for everyone else, um, you should still enter to win a, a free copy of the book. I think, wh when are we doing the announcement, Katrina? Uh, December 27th. And we'll announce that on our Facebook page. So, uh, head over to Latchel's Facebook page, make sure you're keeping up to date. We'll also, um, email the winner. Awesome. So that announcement going up the 27th. To enter, just go to latchell.com slash bookbox, one word, B-O-O-K, B-O-X, bookbox. Um, we got an awesome picture of you, Tony, up there with like your book. <laughs> um, and then uh, anything else you want to add, Tony, on, on um, where people should go to learn more about the book? Um, I got the book off Amazon, so that's yeah, an easy way to do um, Yeah, Amazon is by far the easiest place. Um, Facebook, LinkedIn, like I'm pretty active, um, obviously, with the book, and I've, I've always been um, the type of guy that's kind of out there. Um, I think it's important for property managers specifically to have a presence in the world and they need to present their authority and their expertise in this field because there's not a lot of us and you never know who's watching. Awesome. Tony, thanks so much. Um, and for everyone listening, if you're interested in learning more about Latchel services, taking some of that maintenance coordination admin work off your plate so you can focus on growth, go to latchel.com, click the book a demo button. We'd love to talk to you and um, join in next week. Actually, are we doing a session next week, Katrina? <laughs> well, we next are? week we typically do these on Thursdays and it's after Christmas. So, uh, right. we're, so <laughs> we're going on a little bit of a holiday. So don't join <laughs> next week. But keep your eyes open for the new year. Happy holidays, everybody. Happy holidays to you, Tony. Yes, you guys too. To you, Katrina. And um, this will be out next week for people to download as a podcast. So if you're listening to it live or you weren't able to make it through the whole thing um, or you're joining just at the end here, uh, you'll see the podcast go out next week. Awesome. Thanks, everyone.
Thank you. Thanks, Tony. See ya. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Subscribe to the podcast to stay up to date. Hit that subscribe button. Give us some love. Maybe give us a five-star review, too, if you like what you're hearing. And I have an ask for you. I'd like you to go to latchel.com and click the book a demo button to schedule time to talk with us. We want to hear about your business, how you've been, how you're growing, how maintenance is going at your company. Maybe we can work together. Maybe not but you won't know unless you talk to us. So go to latchel.com, click the book a demo button. I'm looking forward to talking to you. I know the rest of our team here is. So go do that as soon as you can. Thanks everyone. See you back next week.